This is The Guidebook, raw conversations with risk takers about adventure, life, work, and the emotions behind it all. We're unveiling the challenges and joys of adventure to inspire you to go out and take the risk. This episode is sponsored by Backcountry Foodie, an ultralight recipes and meal planning service for backpackers created by a real dietitian. You can go to backcountryfoodie.com slash friends and use the code THEGUIDEBOOK for 20% off right now. This episode was sponsored by Wanderers Outpost, the outdoor retail company empowering and educating women one adventure at a time. Find them at wanderersoutpost.com or wanderersoutpost on Instagram. This episode was sponsored by Freiburg Motors, Mount Washington Valley's number one choice for European automotive sales and service. Find them at 299 Main Street in Freiburg, Maine, online at freibergmotors.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash freibergmotors. Our music today is from the Free Music Archive. This track was created by Ketza. Hey friends, welcome back to The Guidebook. It's Rachel, your host. This week I'm talking to my friend Kevin Grumman, aka Space Jam. He did three consecutive through hikes, three consecutive years in a row for the Triple Crown, and one of them he did with his now fiance. We're talking about triple crowning, navigating a career, and home ownership and through hiking all at once. Forging a relationship formed in real life on the trail. I'm saying real life in quotes here. Casa de Luna and Hiker Heaven, both of which are now closing. The CDT versus the PCT versus the AT as far as culture and intimidation level goes. The most epic trail magic I've ever heard of. (laughs) Paper maps versus gut hooks. Bringing a fancy camera on trail and managing your data. Finding your place in the US after triple crowning. Pickles trail magic. You heard from Pickle last week. His name's Dylan Tonkin. And uh, Pickle's Hiker Chat, which is where Kevin and I met for the first time. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. Kevin has some epic stories from his through hikes, but he's also super down to earth. And we talked a lot about life in general and the things that are going on in the U.S. right now. I just want to remind you guys before we dive into this episode that our Patreon has now launched and I'm so excited to tell you that August 27th, 2020 at 8 p.m. we'll be having our very first Patreon community meetup over Zoom and so many of our guests will be there. So if you've ever wanted to meet one of our guests or if you've ever wanted to ask our guests questions live in person, well as close to in person as you can get during a pandemic, definitely head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash theguidebookpod and you can join our patreon and get an exclusive invite to this event i am so stoked so many of our guests have actually never met each other so they're going to be meeting each other for the first time they'll be meeting you for the first time i want to see your face i want to see you there go to patreon.com slash the guidebook pod and you can join our first ever meetup. I'm hoping someday in person these meetups will be hikes and campouts and things like that. But for now, we're just doing Zoom. So stay tuned and join our Patreon. All right, let's dive into this episode. I can't wait for you to hear all of Kevin's stories. Okay, I am Kevin Grumman, aka Space Jam. Uh, I'm a triple crowner. Did them back to back to back. Did the Appalachian Trail 2017, Pacific Crest Trail 2018 with my 
lovely now fiance sea lion and then the continental divide trail last year 2019 um cool well let's just get started why did you decide to start to attempt the triple crown well i think i have to go way way back (laughs) (laughs) uh kind of my wanderlust started uh so keep thinking of extra details to include kind of all the way from the start but I guess in college, I started playing rugby, and after college, I joined a men's team, and a lot of them were going to New Zealand, which was hosting the World Cup, you know, like the Soccer World Cup, the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand in 2011, but I had just bought my house, so I didn't have any money left to go on a trip halfway around the world, Uh, so then the next couple years, they just, you know, a lot of my teammates kept saying how amazing New Zealand was. And I was starting to hit kind of like a mid-20s funk, I guess, and just Mm -hmm. wanted to go take a real trip, an adventure, not just, oh, yeah, I went on a cruise or, you know, I went to some beach for a week, you know. So I decided I was going to New Zealand, and I banked up a lot of vacations, so I was able to take five weeks off of work, and um, my job at the time also completely shut down between Christmas and New Year's, and that kept evolving and friends kept joining and it wound up being a five-week motorcycle ride all over both islands. Uh, We had off-road bikes so we could do tons of off-road riding and just camp out in the middle of nowhere, you know, miles from humans and it was an absolute blast and (laughs) that was 2013-14. When I got back, one of my other good friends was setting off to do the Pacific Crest Trail, and that's pretty much the first time I ever heard of through hiking. So uh, this was when Snapchat was pretty big and still widely used. I guess it is now. I don't use it as much. But anyway, <laughs> seeing his stories unfold and all the snaps and everything, when he got back, you know, we started talking about the budget side of it, and I realized, huh, I spent more for my New Zealand trip for five weeks than he did for the Pacific Crest Trail through hike in five months. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what planted the seeds and made me start really getting into the backpacking world. You know, that can be the endless rabbit hole of always researching gear and trying to go lighter and lighter. Totally. But uh, spent the next couple of years getting more into it and decided, all right, I think I want to through hike. And I picked the Appalachian Trail because I'm from Maryland. So. I'm just more used to, you know, the the environment around the Appalachian, you know, lots of humidity, lots of trees. Mm-hmm. And then I also have some family in North Carolina, so if something went wrong, I wouldn't be stranded on the other side of the country. Um, yeah, so things are kind of lining up. And then I went with my friend who did the PCT and his girlfriend, uh, Pigpen and Blocks, to do the Wonderland Trail in September of 2016 and that was kind of my big test hike (laughs) you know to have all my gear dialed in see if I want to do something like this and then you know do it essentially 20 more times in a row and I loved it even though it rained you know it's just kind of a good training for for the AT yeah totally rain is perfect that's exactly what you want (laughs) so yeah everything just lined up and I hit the trail in April 2017. That's amazing. Loved it. Nice. What were you doing for work? Have you had like 
I guess, like, what has your career been while you've been through hiking? How have you navigated that? Yeah, I was a mechanical engineer uh, by education, I guess, and I, I worked for a big defense contractor for almost 10 years. And I still remember when I first asked my boss how leave of absences work. Normally, people only ever take those if they have a dying family member they have to care for, you know, something bad, essentially. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, my God, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, you know, I just want to go screw off in the woods for six months. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> so I had to kind of fill them in. And, you know, like most people, they just have no idea what through hiking is and ask if you carry all your food from the start or, <laughs> you know, if you have to hunt for your food. And this and that. So I wound up getting a, a leave of absence from work to do the Appalachian Trail. And I think like most people did not want to go back, but work was begging me to go back. And I was pretty set on doing the Pacific Crest Trail the following year. So you know, I decided to kind of suck it up and go back to the cubicle life for a few more months. And also realized that would help save up for the PCT a lot more than going to be a ski bum you know, some seasonal job that was a little bit more fulfilling. Nice. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things. It's like money, timing, work <laughs> when it comes yeah. to through hiking. I think that's like the most asked question. Um, Cause like that really is the first step. Like you can decide to do it all you want, but if you don't prepare at all financially or yeah. whatever, you're fucked. And it's awful to come home and have no idea like, I feel like it would be worse to come home and have no idea what you're doing and get super depressed and have no money than it is to go back mm-hmm. to a cubicle job for six months, you know? Yeah. As soul-crushing and... as that is. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I think the, the closest thing I've had to a panic attack was, was walking into work that first day back, just thinking, why am I back here? What am I mm-hmm. doing? And it took some getting used to, but, um, you know, I just had this, this goal. It's like, all right, you know, just put in some work, tough it out, and you'll be on the PCT in six months. Mm-hmm. And then after the Pacific Crest Trail, Sea um, Line and I wound up moving to Colorado, and I became a ski instructor. Uh, shout out to Shark, one of the, our best friends we made on the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, she had been there ski instructing a few times and highly recommended it, and I think kind of put in some good words. So that was a really awesome winter. And, uh, you know, thought I was a good skier until I went out there and actually oh learned God. all yeah. the technicals and bits about <laughs> a ski. Um, but it was really, you know, kept me away from that post-trail depression because, you know, it's going off to a new adventure and then knowing I was going to do the third and final trail the following year. And mm. I think now it's kind of starting to catch up to me because, you know, there is no trail this year. I don't really know what my next step is. Um, we recently, so after... The CDT, I moved in with Sea Lion, and she's, she had been living in Austin, Texas. So that was really awesome, being in a new town. You know, that's always exciting. Mm-hmm. And then coronavirus started to hit, and I had to find, uh, come home to find new tenants for my house, and, you know, just a couple other reasons piling up. So we decided to come back to Maryland, and I'm still thinking, all right, should I try to go back to the engineering world? Should mm-hmm. I keep just doing some gig jobs, you know, Grubhub or dog walking? Should I? Yeah, a lot of unknowns right now. And It's so hard when everything's yeah. up in the air and you don't have. Yeah. But like, <laughs> not having the next goal 
for me was very like I don't know I constantly feel lost and like am I doing the right thing you'll never know until you do it and with through hiking it's always the right thing you're never wrong <laughs> you know that's always great <laughs> goal but that's not my goal right now and that's weird I don't know there's just so much when you don't have uh that next thing in place with with a date something to look forward to yeah yeah well, on a happier note, let's talk about some of your <laughs> through hiking stories, man. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. You have so many epic stories because you've done so much. Let's start in the middle. What was it like to, how, or how did you meet Sea Lion? How did you guys get together? What happened with that? Um, well, it, it wasn't a, a romance forged on the trail. We oh. actually met at an AWOL Nation concert in 2012 so like long ago and you know we kind of dated had a fling for a few months and then we parted and went our separate ways and then when I was kind of gearing up uh, for the Appalachian Trail um, we reconnected and I was a little hesitant because during our time apart I also dated someone else and realized they weren't right for me and wasn't in a rush to you know, get back into a relationship, especially before setting off on a through hike, because you always hear stories about how it's, you know, life-changing experiences, and you meet people, and you wind up, you know, working on a boat in the Bahamas, or, you know, whatever crazy <laughs> thing happens, so um, I was a little hesitant, and I'm really glad that she kind of saw the potential between us, and knew we would have a really good thing, so she stayed in touch while I was on the trail, and that was actually really nice to have you know, someone back home checking in on me besides a terribly worried mother <laughs> or relative. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, so within a week or two after I got back, we started dating and then, um, you know, she followed me through the trail with the Appalachian Trail and realized that's something she wanted to do. So when I was letting her know I was planning to do the PCT, she said, I'm in. And so cool. it was really awesome to have her be that decidedly in it so we could spend some time trying to get her gear sorted and go on a test hike. We only made it on one backpacking trip before she came to do this the whole PCT. <laughs> wow. Um, she also got fourth place in the Badger sponsorship that year. So it was really nice um, getting a lot of her gear kind of just gifted. Mm -hmm. You know, not having to drop a thousand dollars on backpack, tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad, shoes, socks, trekking poles, you know, the whole nine yards. That's and, amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, we hit the trail and did the whole thing together. And that's, I think, where we definitely fell in love. And I was thinking about proposing to her at the, uh, at the terminus, but realized, how the hell do I get an engagement ring? when I'm off in the woods <laughs> so far from town and then also thought okay well we also have haven't lived together you know it's we've been off in this fairy tale through hike um so then in Colorado when we lived out there for the winter you know continued we were roommates it there's never really a doubt in my mind but it just helped prove you know we were meant to be and then mm -hmm. I proposed on a road trip out to Glacier Park Glacier National Park to drop me off to start the CDT. I was like, you know, I want to let her know I'm doing this last hike, but I'm committed. And 
let's get it done. <laughs> she said yes. That's awesome. After, after a few minutes of not actually saying yes and saying, oh my God, are you serious? You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. What is it like? I mean, I hiked with a partner for a lot of the AT, so, but like not yeah. a long term. Like I met him on the AT and we broke up pretty shortly after. So like, what was it like hiking with your long term partner? Like how, how did that, like comparing to the AT, how did it feel? Uh, overall, I liked it more because you could split up tasks. You know, you shared the weight of a tent and one person could set the tent and start boiling water while one person, you know, hiked the point one or two down to the river to get water and filter it. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I liked kind of the teamwork and just the companionship because we almost never actually hiked together. You know, at the morning we'd say like, all right, let's try to meet for lunch at this water spot and try to make it here to camp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that was it. Uh, I, th- I think that also might be a key to not getting completely sick of your oh significant other yeah. on the trail. You know, if you're hiking every single mile joined at the hip, it might get a little tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That is how every fight starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just about every fight. That and taking my lighter. Don't take my lighter, man. <laughs> but yeah, that's really interesting. I agree with that. I also liked having somebody to like share in the excitement with not that there aren't other people out there but it brings something special when it's your significant other and you get to like a really sick view or like amazing trail magic and you're like we're gonna Mm -hmm. be able to talk about this for the rest of our lives together and that's really cool yeah and then also the low points (laughs) yeah the uh the one terrible rainy day so when i did the pct we you know 2018 was just the trail on easy mode (laughs) <laughs> there was a terribly low snow years. The Sierras were a cakewalk. The desert wasn't super hot. There, you know, the water sources were, you know, pretty average, I guess. But we went 135 days without a single drop of rain. Wow. And I think this was, we might have gotten sprinkled on, but this one night, or it was raining and we camped. It was right around Glacier Peak uh, up in Washington. And it just was raining in the morning and cold it just rained all day it turned into torrential downpour toward the end of the day when we're going down toward this uh i believe it was milk creek and the whole trail was just six inches to a foot deep of a stream just flowing down the river mm-hmm. there's no flat spots anywhere to set the tent there the gut hooks note, note said that there was a, a good log crossing but that got washed away and we realized that we had to either backtrack way up to this lake where it was hailing as we passed it, <laughs> which was the most recent flat spot, or find a way to cross this creek. And it was silty, so we couldn't see how deep it was. And we're just kind of starting to freak out because the sun's going down. It's getting colder. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, another really long, I think about 2,500-foot climb afterwards. And one note said something about halfway up. There's a side trail to a privy, and along that side trail, there's a little flat spot where you can maybe fit a single two-person tent. And we thought, all right, I hope this works. So let's just go up to Skinny Trail, you know, where it's a super steep cliff on either side. I mean, not cliff, but, you know, you tumble all the way to the bottom yeah. steepness. And then uh, Sea Lion's headlamp died, 
Oh, no. So we are trying to share this headlamp as it's dark. And she also wears glasses. So during the rain, you know, it blurs your vision and you have to wipe them. And we finally made it there. And it was just miserable. You know, we had to set the tent and we could barely use our fingers to do the clips and knots. And, and uh, you know, definitely one of those trying times where it's like, all right, we survived that. You know, we can survive if we get in an argument about you know, who gets to take the car tomorrow for meeting their friends or, you know, whatever other little things might pop up in a couple's. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that's like a serious bond, too, <laughs> once you've been through that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you appreciate the, sh- the sunshine. Yeah. Way, way more. Yeah. Well, so you guys did the PCT during the year that... It was, was, were you guys the last year of Casa de Luna? Is that right? Uh, I think 2019. 2019. They were still there. Mm. That's so cool, though. You guys got to be, you got to see it. <laughs> yeah. That's another reason it was kind of on easy mode that year was uh, Hiker Heaven was still there, you know, mm-hmm. as it always was, and Casa de Luna. And now they're both, you know, pretty much folding up shop. Yeah, and they were right next to each other, right? Well, not right yeah. next to each other, but close enough. How, yeah. I mean, was there anything else? There were no other hostels near there, were there? I I don't think so. I mean, Casa de Luna was in um, Aqua Dulce, and yeah, it's definitely a stretch of the desert where, you know, any sort of hospitality is so welcome because it's just, you know, so hot, so little water sources. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if somebody will pop up there now that they're gone. Like yeah. someone else. I think they're going to operate it as more of a um airbnb where you can pay and stay there mm-hmm. but uh yeah you know just it won't be the same <laughs> yeah what was it like i mean i know there's like a lot of legends about it <laughs> yeah i mean the, the soft lease have been doing it for a long time uh you know whenever you hear stories of a pct hiker in the 90s even before anybody knew what it was uh she would find like sometimes there's crews up and down their station wagon and spot hikers and say come on you're staying with me That's so and you know we started hiking after the trails exploded in popularity so they had some growing pains but they sorted it out and they're running that like clockwork they had laundry bags set up and instructions on you know how to do you know put your gaiters and anything with the zippers and these laundry bags so they won't get caught in the washer they had a fleet of volunteers you know it was quite surprising how they can host i think there's about 50 hikers there while we stayed wow. and you never really had to wait for anything um they had some other local volunteers with trucks that would kind of shuttle people to town so you could do your resupply or post office and right before sea line and i were about to head out we saw this massive plume of smoke due north you know right where the trail is and we thought all right we might want to wait. I don't know what's going on there. And then a trail crew arrived super rattled because they were working on the trail when a fire broke out and they literally had to throw their tools down and run for their life because this fire erupted. And then we started seeing Cal fire helicopters and planes jumping, uh, dumping fire retardant. And it was like, we're in a movie because from their, um, kind of backyard, it's on a little hill and you can see, you know, just the whole landscape. And uh, also, in true hiker fashion, they you know they know all the trail angels in the area, and they mobilized a fleet of volunteers 
to shuttle us around the closure because they close 12 miles. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those times you want to kind of be a purist and be like, all right, well, I'll find an alternate route. But there wasn't one, mm. and there was no time for the PCTA to establish one. So, you know, that's one of the kind of the, the fire reroutes that we had to skip. But mm-hmm. you also realize it was 12 miles of flat desert. You know, it's not <laughs> like we were really missing a whole lot. Yeah. Not to take away from Casa de Luna, but that was definitely more of a party atmosphere. They were, you know, great hosts. They fed all the hikers. There was a gas station everybody walked to and probably was responsible for half their revenue during hiker season. Oh, my God. Totally. Beers. All, the, have, and, all uh, the Hawaiian shirts bought up from yep, every thrift store. They had store. a whole closet <laughs> full of those. And uh, they also had a big manzanita forest in their backyard where everybody camped. That's crazy. And then they had years and years and years of people painting rocks and putting them in the trees. So it was this weird, you know, mystical kind of <laughs> fairy tale land just back in the, the little forest with all these people camping and stuff. But um, that I could definitely see why people got vortexed there pretty yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow. That's so cool, though. I feel like the on the AT, the hostels were more limited you know like there Mm -hmm. were more hostels but you would never you would never be at a hostel for a night with 50 other people like they all have their limits they all would turn away people yeah totally one thing i really liked about a lot of the at hostels was they had um the the much cheaper option to camp or in my case i was hammocking so hammock in the yard Mm -hmm. somewhere and pay them you know 10 15 bucks just to use their shower and laundry I did appreciate that, yeah. Yeah. And also... Save money and... Go ahead. Oh, no. I, it's just, like, one of those things where until you're more experienced, you don't necessarily realize the loopholes. Like, when I first started, I really wanted a bed. And then yeah. I would sleep in a hostel and be like, I got no sleep last night, and I paid for that. Because there's so many people snoring around you and, like, talking. And yep. They're using <laughs> – people will, like, use their phones. The entire bunk room is dark, and their one phone will light up the whole fucking room. And I'm like, why are you on your phone? And you can totally hear what they're playing in their headphones. Oh. Yeah. That was just a pet peeve of mine. Um, <laughs> That's also why I, I tried to ham it, because I'm a pretty light sleeper. Yeah. So anytime you're in a bunk room, you know, somebody's going to be snoring. Yeah. like everything he said. And, I guess I, I also. Oh, sorry. I was also proud. I, I had a, a forty-five night streak on the AT where I was in my hammock every night. So like, even every town, I would just you know find a hostel I could do there or do an in and out and not stay in the city limits. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. Forty-five nights straight. Nice. Also, <laughs> the the idea, the realization that you can totally just take a zero on trail in your tent or your hammock or whatever. Like, you can go mm-hmm. into town and get food and do your laundry and whatever and come back to trail and take a zero on trail the next day. That's way more enjoyable to me than being yeah. in a hostel. Like, unless there's a certain group of people there that I really want to hang out with, you know? Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. I don't think, can recall I ever took a full on trail zero. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think in my mind, that just meant you had to carry more food. <laughs> you did for like five miles to get to your campsite. <laughs> oh, you're talking. Okay. I was thinking. Like I wouldn't go super far. Run, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah would... I mean, we would definitely, you know, you pack heavy, the heavy food out to have that first night. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah. Gotcha. I was super lazy, man. I took like seven months to hike the trail. That was, I took like 35 zeros. I kid you not. I mean, some of those were for injury, but a lot of them were just because I was lazy. Hey friends, it's official. I've soft launched our Patreon this week, so go over and check it out. Patreon.com slash the guidebook pod. Sign up and help us get back on a paid server. Paid servers are way better, they are less glitchy, and I can actually upload our episode reliably at the same time every week, and I would love to do that for you guys. You can select a membership level from two tiers, Adventurer or Trail Family, and everybody who signs up will get a free sticker and a handwritten thank you note in the mail from me, along with a shout out in our credits and exclusive invites to the guidebook events. I'll be planning these events through Zoom for now because I want to meet you. I want to see your face. I want to hear what you want to hear on the show, and I want to get to know this community. There's over 300 of you out there listening every single week, and that blows my mind but i feel like i only know a fraction of you it'll be so cool to meet you guys and i would love your support if just half of you subscribe to the adventurer tier we would get back on a paid server in no time sign up for our patreon today at patreon.com slash the guidebook pod patreon.com slash the guidebook pod i can't wait to meet you all i hope to see you over there Well, so what was, I mean, in comparison to the AT and, and the PCT, I guess the CDT is like a trail on steroids. What what was that like? What were the, the differences you experienced? Um, definitely a lot more similar to the PCT, just with, uh, you know, the views and the kind of more remote towns and the longer stretches you had to go between food resupplies. Uh, first, I was worried that I was going to be completely by myself because I was going southbound on it but they had such a big snow year also that snow happened while I was living in Vail Colorado being a ski instructor and all the locals said it was the best snow year in 20 years so oh that part God, was awesome yeah that's so cool um, <laughs> but for the hikers the following year almost every northbounder hit the San Juan mountain range which was had 300% normal snowpack and just realized this is impassable or certain death so then they flipped up to glacier to then head south to connect their footsteps so on one hand it was great because you know i'm now with other through hikers and you know it's just a lot more enjoyable when you can hang out and be hiker trash together but starting got really annoying because of the permits and glacier all the the snowbows as they called them <laughs> were taking up all the permits <laughs> so i had a do some pretty convoluted, weird uh, campsites in Glacier to kind of get the ball rolling. Wow. Um, but also, I had two weddings to attend and get off trail for. Oh my gosh, weddings, so was, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same. So I was with a great bubble um, through pretty much the first three states, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And then I hopped off in Rollins, Wyoming, I hitchhiked 250 miles to Salt Lake City, where um, Caro and Hefe and Lego live, some of my PCT buddies. Mm -hmm. So they hosted me for a night, and then I caught a flight home to Maryland for my cousin's wedding and one of my best friend's bachelorette parties. 
all in one day. So that was a very tiring day, you know, to wake up at six, drive to the harbor and go drink beer on a boat all day and kind of care like you <laughs> care about fishing. Wow. Yeah. And then get back to the hotel, get changed, take a shower, go to a wedding and, you know, keep the party rolling. Yeah. Um, and then I got back on the CDT at Chama, Cumbres Pass, and I was going to go northbound through Colorado because a lot of people were saying that once October hits, the San Juans, you never know, they could easily get feet of snow and be terrible. So I wanted to make sure I got through those before there was really any chance of snow. So early September, I started this Nobo Colorado flip-flop and I was back to being like completely by myself. Wow. And also, you know, seeing rendezvousing with Sea Lion, I was really starting to miss her and she was missing me. And, I'll, you know, there was some days I went four days, an entire stretch town to town, didn't see a single human. So that was definitely kind of a, a hard mind game, definitely a mentally yeah. tough part of that trail. But uh, I made it and then. When I flipped back to do New Mexico, um, I wound up meeting some of the last of the late southbounders. And I think the group I finished with were the last the last southbounders to finish that year on December 3rd. Wow. That's so crazy. But, uh, yeah. I've heard from a lot of people that the AT is like a family or like a school where you sort of know everybody and everybody's in the yearbook and... Mm-hmm. families intermingle and I've heard the PCT is like slightly more clicky but you still got a lot of friends and then the CDT is just like by yourself or like whoever you start <laughs> with <laughs> is that true yeah. like is that how you feel about it um I think it was a, a weird year from all the people flip-flopping I know it was kind of hard being one of the few uh like true southbounders i'm not trying to get on a high horse and be like oh i'm a true (laughs) but um you know because a lot of people hike new mexico and then flips north with their trail family you know so they could share renting a car and everything so there's a lot of kind of already established clicks and trail families Mm -hmm. and i was just like hey i'm new here you know i'm the new kid what's up (laughs) nice Um, i feel like that's such a it's so weird to like enter a trail family after they've already started. But you know, I met some, some really awesome people and uh, kind of the eight. So the PCT, you know, I was with sea lion the whole way. And we also met a trail family, uh, like a core kind of maybe six, seven, eight of us. And then another double that, that we called cousins. (laughs) Oh yeah. Moose and Midge, they're my trail brothers, but you know, Taco, we only see him every few towns, so he's kind of that trail cousin. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like but, I have um, a few of those. <laughs> yeah, the distant relatives. Yeah. <laughs> and on the AT, um, I also got off trail twice to take vacations, uh, you know, passing through Maryland. It's my home state, so I, I got off to see some friends and visit with Sea Lion, and my friends actually kind of took me to the didn't really tell me, but there was like, get in the car, we're going somewhere. And we drove to the beach. So that was really crazy of, you know, yesterday I was yeah. uh, hiking through the mountains and now my feet are in the ocean. Dude, I always used to think it was so insane because you ride in cars so little. 
And Mm -hmm. my parents lived in the Whites in New Hampshire. So when they picked me up and brought me home, I was just like, okay, so two hours ago, guys, I was like 50 miles away on a trail. And now I have ridden in this automobile and I am standing here petting a cat (laughs) in a house. This is insane. And no one else thought it was crazy. But, you know, I guess that's what happens when you've been on trail too long. (laughs) If you know, you know. Yeah. You don't. (laughs) Yeah. It was so crazy. I think, like, the first time I got in a car on trail, I got, like, I got a hitch or something to get new shoes, and it was terrifying. It was Mm -hmm. so fast. I was really fucking car sick, and I did not want to get back in that car. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my very first hitchhike was to Hiawassee, and I was by myself, going to be meeting a friend there who just beat me to the road stick my thumb out a few cars pass a pickup truck pulls over and um the girl riding shotgun just cracks the window a little bit says hop in the back i'm like all right they're driving the right way so i just hopped in the back and then i tried to tell them yeah can you just drop me at the piggly wiggly in town and then i couldn't hear what they said so i'm kind of leaning over the driver's side out the bed of the truck like hey and then the driver cracks the door and turns around and the dude has on bright pink lipstick (laughs) <laughs> and I freeze for a second thinking, am I going to end up in this couple's basement? You know, <laughs> we're in some lotion down in a basket. But he's like, you say Piggly Wiggly? I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wow. <laughs> what was the most satisfying trail magic you experienced? Uh, well, definitely... None on the CDT because they simply did not exist. Wow. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Aside, I think twice uh, on some off-road, you know, some gravel road, somebody would drive by and be like, hey, you want a beer? <laughs> but, you know, no established setup uh, with the intention of throwing trail magic. Wow. Um, definitely my go-to story was on the AT because it was just so over the top. You, it, it sounds fake, but uh, there's the – savannah college of art and design scad Mm. and for a final project this group decided to do trail magic and their task was to design every facet from the ground up every little detail design it and make it happen and they chose trail magic at the over mountain shelter so they designed lightweight tables that they could roll up and pack out because the nearest road i think is about eight miles They designed laser engraved menus. They had a culinary student prepare a three course meal. They designed the costumes of the wait staffs. They had bow ties and, you know, white gloves looking all fancy. And they even had a violinist to serenade us as we enjoyed lunch overlooking the, you know, the gorgeous views surrounding that shelter. And it was, how is this real life? You know, (laughs) that is epic. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that sounds like something straight out of like um, uh, Twerk's Hiker Trash Vogue or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Was the food and, good? Yeah. I mean, a, a culinary student made it uh, and they had options. You know, you could have a, like a Caesar salad or a house salad. And then the main course you could get, I think, uh, salmon and and asparagus or gnocchi and something and then dessert you could get ice cream or a nice warm brownie wow it was all out and the funny thing i was hiking with my buddy 
excuse me, Dapper Dan. And he was just slightly off trail, and it's it was the middle of the day, so we weren't going to stay there, you know, we weren't going to camp there, but he said, yeah, let's check it out. You know, it's supposedly one of the best shelters and beautiful, and our other friend Meredith said, nah, y'all go ahead, I'm going to skip it. Wow. And we caught up to our camp that night, it was just, oh man, you should have hung out. Oh, <laughs> rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I remember when I just got out of the Smokies, we were at some trail magic and there was like a box of mountain houses that the trail angel was giving away, but I didn't see mm-hmm. them and all of my friends saw them. And I thought that was disappointing, but honestly, yours is way more disappointing to miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, you know, I can, I can get a mountain house in the next town. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't get that dinner anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's so cool. And then one of my other uh, favorite trail magic stories is on the PCT. And it was when a lot of our extended family was kind of all bunched up. And I forget the highway, but most people, when the trail crosses it, hitch uh, east down to the town of Quincy. Mm -hmm. But to west, there's this tiny little old mining town called Laporta. And there's these two locals down there, you know, it's a one bar, one little shop type downtown area. So there's just nothing. But the, these two local heavy drinkers, like, I'm, I know everybody here. I'm sick of drinking at the bar. So they took to drinking up at the road crossing and hang out with new hikers every day. And they happen to have a, left, a lot of leftover beer. So as our trail family's catching up, they're just like, hey, you guys can stay and drink. I bet you can't finish all these beers. And more and more of us keep showing up. And we took the bet. And then they started calling their friends like, hey, there's a really fun group of hikers up here because they're complaining sometimes hikers don't want to stay and party and just kind of hike on after a beer. Like, oh, these guys love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finished all their beer. And then one of the, the ladies there said, hey, I'm the bartender and our bars doesn't have a, like a liquor license for Sundays. But if you all want to come down, we'll open it up for you. You know, <laughs> you're going to stay and buy booze and make it worthwhile. And we say... Sure thing. So we all hopped in a bunch of, you know, their fleet of pickup trucks and we're getting taken down there thinking, this is cool, right? Are we getting kidnapped? No. <laughs> they lure us in with the promise of booze, but they were all super nice, super accommodating. Um, she made these giant 32 ounce mugs called tree smackers, which had, I don't know, like five types of liquor in them or something that <laughs> tasted delicious. And another local and an apartment complex nearby and let us do laundry. And it was really awesome and they dropped us off on trail uh back at the trailhead right as this really gorgeous sunset was going down nice that sounds like a great day yeah and uh, the next day is when you cross the uh i think the north fork feather river which uh has a lot of good uh, little waterfalls and cliff jumping and swimming spots and there's a good kind of 24-hour period you know that's amazing so, on the CDT, you didn't get any trail magic, and you were alone for multiple days at a time, and did you have to do, like, isn't there some kind of, like, route planning stuff that you have to do when you're on the CDT? Um, not like, really. Choices uh, you have to make. <laughs> yeah, so something I actually, in hindsight, really enjoyed about the AT was I just had the AWOL paper maps, 
So there's a lot of mystery because it just has the elevation. You don't even know when you're turning right, turning left. Mm, yeah. And then I got gut hooks for the PCT, which is a very valuable tool knowing what water sources are dried up or, you know, where some secret camp spots might be. But it kind of takes a lot of the element of surprise away because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I have a 3,000 foot hill climbing and then it hooks this way and this and that. So on the CDT, I also had gut hooks and they're pretty good with um, the main official or the main uh, alternate routes, such as the Creed cutoff to skip the San Juans when there's too much snow mm-hmm. and some other major ones. But the the, uh, the definitely quintessential guide, if anyone out there is planning to do the CDT, is to get the Jonathan Lay maps, L-E-Y. Hmm. He's been keeping kind of use, user hiker-sourced data of these PDF maps, and they have so many alt routes that are all amazing. And kind of one of my favorite examples is uh, along the Idaho border, you can take this side route and go up Cottonwood Peak, which is 11,000 feet. Absolutely stunning views. And then in the notes, it says, uh, you know, when are you ever going to be here again? Quit being a wimp. Go like that. <laughs> you know? And then a, a little bit later, you can take a side trail to go look at some old mining equipment in this pit full of buffalo bones that Native Americans used to herd, you know, so they would fall into the pit and then they could kill them easily. Wow. You know, it's just right off trail. So, all right, I'll check that out. And that's definitely something I really like about the CDT is there is zero of that purist culture. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody sticks on the quote official trail because there is so many alternate routes and, you know, so many wild cards that might get thrown your way. And Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It's like blue blazes, but cooler. Yeah. And nobody gives you shit if you take them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like so that. So I thought that was kind of funny because on the AT, I, I don't think I was a douche about it, but I was definitely in a purist mindset and that I was going to do continuous footpath, you know, never take a bad weather alternate that skips the top of a, a bald mountain, uh, you know, things like that. I never really gave people shit if they decided to take a shortcut or do this. Mm-hmm. Then on the PCT with fire closures and then being in a big trail family you know sometimes you just you know i I had to slowly realize you know it's not going to be a quote purist hike and then cdt just completely out the window yeah my only goal is continuous footpath you know did the flip-flop i took out routes pretty much anytime one popped up i said all right i'll go check it out Mm. that's cool it's like a choose your own adventure book instead of like a yeah here's how to do it guide (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that's really neat I had no idea there were so many, I don't know, I haven't researched the CDT that much because I'm pretty sure I'm doing the PCT next, but Mm -hmm. um, also because it just kind of, it's really intimidating, especially because the AT was my first ever backpacking trip, let alone through hike. So, and I've never been out West, so I'm just like, these mountains are so much bigger. Like, oh, just casually toss out 11,000 feet. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) And I'm like, never hiked over 4,000 feet in my life. Um, Granted, you do go 1,000 feet in a mile in in the whites, but like, I don't know. It just seems like a whole different animal. Just like skiing out West, like skiing compared to Maine or New Hampshire where the ice is out West and it's like, 
you need different skis completely. It's not even about your skills anymore. It's about the fact yeah. that you don't have the right <laughs> equipment. Like that's kind of how I feel about the CBT. <laughs> yeah. Were you like uh, intimidated before you left? Um, I think I was sophomorical more than anything. Like, oh, I did the AT, it's no big deal. I'll do this, all right. Might be a little hotter in the desert. Might need a nice ax in the Sierras, but whatever, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, luckily it was just such an easy year when we went through. I didn't need an ice axe, didn't even need micro spikes. Wow. <laughs> wow. What about the CDT? Um, kind of the same because I was going southbound. Um, so a lot of the rangers and Glacier insisted you needed micro spikes and an ice axe. Uh, when I started June 24th, there was maybe one stretch where my micro spikes helped slightly. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of annoying that, you know, I logged to those a hundred miles and used them for maybe two of the miles, <laughs> but also got to understand, you know, the Rangers have to assume everybody is a Novice. dummy day hiker that doesn't know the first thing about hiking or keeping your balance or footwear or, you know, how, what type of snow to avoid, <laughs> just anything. So they kind of have to assume everyone is not well and tell them accordingly. Right. Interesting. Is there any, I've always wanted to ask a triple crowner this, is there any gear that you have that has made it through every single one of your through hikes? Um, thankfully, my how I got my trail name, my Vibrant Space shorts. There, you know, uh, <laughs> I think there's a one-inch inseam. They're super, super short runner <laughs> shorts. Those are with me through it all. Um, my poop trowel. Nice. I had the deuce of spades, so it kind of hurts your hand to dig in hard stuff, but it's super light. Yeah, deuce of spades is um, my favorite by far. My dry bag that kept my my sleeping bag, or sometimes my sleeping bag and hammock, that made it through. Um, I think those are about it because you know I did a lot of upgrades. Uh, you know I had a Osprey Atmos AG, so it was a 50 liter backpack that weighed four pounds empty. <laughs> so that was gone after the AT. Yeah. Got a Hyperlite. Um, busted a lot of trekking poles. You know went through tons of shoes. Uh, my kitchen setup would have made it the whole way, but on the CDT uh, there's pretty much everyone's through like before. So everyone's already dialed their gear in and I kept feeling like I had the biggest backpack and I couldn't figure out why. Then part of it was like, okay, well I have this fancier stove and pot. It's uh, similar to jet boil. It has the heat sink on the bottom Yeah. and it's a wider uh, pot. So you can cook Mac in it, not just burn the bottom, (laughs) cook Mac and cheese. Yeah. But I realized that's kind of big and heavy. Uh, It was carrying an Ursac. And once I got out of bear country, it's like, okay, this is, you know, just extra weight. I can definitely cut. Yeah. So my, yeah, my, my kitchen stove would have made it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of gear that could have made it for most people who have done more than one through hike, but the upgrade is like so worth it. Yeah. Oh, my camera that was with me. I had a uh, Sony a 6,500. So it's a mirrorless. It's not a, full frame DSLR, yeah, but, yeah. uh, I carried some, <laughs> I carried three lenses on the, the PCT and CDT. I had my everyday shooter for landscapes. Mm-hmm. Then I had a zoom lens for wildlife. And I also carried a super high aperture 
wide-angle lens to get star photos. Wow. So that was definitely my stupid heavy luxury item on the trails, <laughs> but, you know, it's but countless you used pictures it well. I'm still sorting through. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk more about, I, I don't know why I haven't talked to you about your photography yet and videography. You have a YouTube channel now, too? Mm-hmm. This is um, exciting. Yeah, so with my YouTube channel, it doesn't play as well as a standalone thing. I know a lot of vloggers kind of tie everything together so you can watch their channel and be immersed in their hike. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept mine more for supplementary, you know, photos just won't do this justice or we're going cliff jumping or, you know, something like that. So I have um, my blog kind of ties together, you know, I kind of try my hand a little bit at writing well and entertainment in an entertaining way and then the photos and then might have a little extra description on here's a photo or video where I climbed this rock wall or I did this that's so cool but um yeah so I guess that's another lens I carried was the little GoPro sessions those little cubes yeah did you like it I did um that was my second GoPro on, on the ATI hike with the regular one, but then it had the big plastic housing that made it waterproof. So one of my gear upgrades was, okay, they make a GoPro that's about half the weight and volume. So let me try that. And, uh, you know, the battery life isn't that great for, again, people doing more of a traditional vlog format. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably won't last that long, but for just getting a few clips couple minutes here and there it worked perfectly for me nice yeah so what did you do for your data storage and battery and all that how did you handle that on trail I just had a bunch of SD cards Um, sometimes had issues with those I did on the CDT so one of my favorite days is through the Wind River range I realized that there are it kind of evolved throughout the day but at the end of the day, I realized there's 12 lakes that are named on the Circuit of the Towers alternate route. And I decided I was going to swim in all 12 lakes in one oh, day. That's awesome. So I had tons of footage of me just like sprinting from lake to lake and swimming around, <laughs> you know, and some of them were icy cold. And the next town after that, I was like, I have got to try to get this footage together and not let it wait because this is just such a fun thing. And I, I want this to become a challenge, you know, like the four state challenge or the ice cream challenge. Yeah. Is so, so much fun. And then my SD card just shat the bed. No. And I was like freaking out. So I wound up mailing it home. And then when I went home for the first wedding, was really trying to figure out and asking friends if they knew of any data recovery stuff. And, uh, one of my buddies I met on the AT and was like in our trail family on the PCT, Pickle Pacer, uh, used to do that for a living. So he recommended a program, but then I realized it was for Linux computers, which I don't know anything about. But I wound up finding some software that could recover it, and I think I dropped 80 bucks. But to me, it was not just the dozen dip challenge that I invented, all that footage, but a lot of other stuff. So Yeah, that's worth it. Yeah. So basically, if anyone's planning to do a lot of footage like that, um, I would definitely recommend having a way to back it up. Mm. You know, if you can hike with some sort of external drive or mail them home and have somebody copy them over the mail them back, something along those lines. Mm. And um, then for a battery, I just had uh, Anchor uh, 13,000 milliamp hours. 
Nice. And that was enough to keep my camera and GoPro and phone topped off throughout the stretches. Cool. That lake day sounds so cool. Yeah, that was that was a tiring day, but it was <laughs> so much fun. And just that section of trail is amazing. It, it looks fake. Every pass you get over, the next valley you see and peaks is just, this is a painting. There is no way I'm in your life right now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like out west, a lot of the trails are designed so that you're like constantly hiking through a view. Yeah, that's also true. So you know, the AT. Hey, look, more trees. Yeah, it's trees. Like you have more to trees. work <laughs> so hard for a view on the AT. Yeah. And then you go out west and I just see photos of someone just like walking and you can see the trail for miles, which means you can see the view for miles. Mm -hmm. Like there's maybe what Lafayette Ridge in New Hampshire and like a couple of bulbs in Maine where that is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe like Max Patch which is not the same. <laughs> That's so cool. So Yeah, those are definitely some of my pic favorite pictures to capture is when you can just see the trail, you know, squ uh, squiggle on for miles and miles just following a ridge. Yeah. Really cool. That's so cool. And when you can see the tiny people in the distance walking on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you catch up to them, hey, see this, look at this picture I got. You're that dot. I can send it to you if you want. You're just a dot, though. You, <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't want it, but I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What's, like, the most epic photo you took on your through hikes? Or, like, Whew. pick a good handful. <laughs> um, well, shameless plug, if you head to my blog, uh, groomanji.com slash print shop, as I'm going through my CDT photos, I'm putting the best ones up there so I can kind of be a, a all-in-one highlight and they're available for purchase if you'd like to buy one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But, uh, man, there's definitely a lot. Um, so going through some of those, uh, one section I'm on now is uh, right at Grace Peak in Colorado, which is the tallest point on the CDT. There was this mountain goat that was just hanging around right at the peak, and then he followed me to Tory's Peak, which is the neighboring one. So you can get two 14ers in a day because there's just maybe half mile trail down the little saddle and up to the other. Mm -hmm. But um, he was just standing right there on the trail, like, "What's up, man?" So I got a picture of him with these huge mountains behind him, and it just looks fake almost that's so cool um so yeah obviously the cdt photos are a little fresher in my head yeah, uh, yeah. i know there's there's one on the at um can't remember the name of the waterfall somewhere in new york i think it starts with a j i don't want to say johnson falls it doesn't sound right but anyway um also had hiked with a nd filter lens so it's sunglasses for your camera so you can do long exposure shots in the daytime and thus get that milky string waterfall effect going on oh cool so i was getting some of those of this waterfall and i decided i'm gonna take one of myself under it and one thing i really liked about my space jam shorts was they doubled as a bathing suit so i didn't have to like change or you know get chafe hiking with wet undergarments or anything mm. So I set the time lapse and like ran up and I'm just sitting under the waterfall and it turns out looking like some Renaissance painting and I called it Space Jesus. Like, <laughs> bathed in this water that's splashing off me. That's so funny. Yeah. 
Um, Did you get definitely a lot got of... some really good star photos. Uh, I think the PCT was probably the best ones I got. Nice. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, that's something I really miss living in any sort of uh, city. You know, the light pollution. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, see stars. It's also another one of those things. I'm thankful to have experienced all these through hikes, but. You know, it might happen to you as well when you're with friends who haven't. And they're like, wow, look at the stars. Yeah. I think, huh, okay. You have no (laughs) idea, buddy. (laughs) Only knew. Yeah, it's so weird because when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up in a really small valley. And I Mm -hmm. was not grateful for it at all. Like, Mount Washington Valley is beautiful. And I didn't start hiking until I'd already really moved away. And I didn't have any appreciation for it because when you're a kid growing up there, it's like, oh, I'm going to get stuck in the valley and there's no jobs here, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and as an adult, like, I, I just can't live there. Like, I can't afford to live there. It's too ex- The cost of living is twice as much as North Carolina where I'm living now. And I can do my job anywhere, so why would I be there for winter? But I went home. Every time I, like, go home to visit, I'm just even more in awe also because like the whites are memories of the AT right so every Mm -hmm. time I go hike a 4,000 footer I'm just like flooded with all these memories of the AT and like the smells and the feeling and like in June getting to 4,000 feet and having snow under your feet and it's 93 degrees out and you can still smell like all the pine (laughs) like that's just such a cool feeling yeah like your body is sweating (laughs) but your legs are somehow cold like I don't know And, and the view is so pretty and you can just smell everything and you worked so hard to get there. And that is such a cool feeling that you just can't get a lot of places. And like, yeah, just being able to walk out in your driveway and look up at the stars when you just happen to be going out to get something you forgot from your car and oh, just casual. There's the Milky Way. No big. Yeah. It's <laughs> a so fox running down your driveway. So cute. Oh, casual. You know, it's like, why? I don't know. I, I want I, in a lot of ways, I want that to be my everyday life. But then I'm there for more than two weeks and I'm like, oh, I can't go to the grocery store after 6 p.m. and I have to drive 30 minutes to get there. And like, (laughs) oh, I have to build a fire every night to stay warm. And oh, I have to pay (laughs) $500 for someone to plow my driveway every week. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for daily life right now. But I miss, I miss it so much. And I feel like the AT, just going on any through hike makes it, so much harder to live in a city like right now i'm living in durham it's not even really there's more trees in this city than i've ever seen in any other city in my life there's more green space there's parks there's everything and somehow i'm still like i just want to be in the mountains you know yeah (sighs) yeah that's another thing that's i guess contributing to the the collective post-trail depression i keep trying to fight off is uh you know, we're living in Austin and our apartment had a little green belt following a stream right out back. So you could sit on the porch and all, like your entire field of vision is just trees. Granted, there it was only deep enough that if you took about maybe 10 steps in, then you could see the fence and the storage units on the other side. <laughs> yeah. But from the balcony, it looked like you're in this, the edge of this wilderness. And we moved back into my house in Baltimore and... There's one tree, you know, a uh, tree box planted out front by the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. But out back, all you can see is a brick building. Across the street, all you can see is a brick building. And there's that lack of greenery just in every day, you know, kind of glancing out the window. And Mm -hmm. that's getting kind of wearing me down. 
Yeah. Definitely miss the woods. Yeah. Or at least the illusion of the woods. <laughs> yeah. I think my deepest post-trail depression was when I moved. I moved around a lot after trail, and but I was always living with somewhere with like a nice backyard. And I moved into an apartment complex to try to save money for a few months over the summer. And my window was right next to the HVAC unit, my bedroom window. Mm-hmm. And first of all, that amount of noise, I just cannot handle that. I cannot do it. It, I was going insane. Uh, yeah. I can't sleep with an HVAC right outside my window. Like I just can't. I can't do it. Um, every place that I've looked at after that in the South, I'm like, where's the HVAC? I need to know. I don't care if it's outside. I need to know where it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there were no trees. There was like a patch of grass and it was so mosquito infested. You couldn't even stand on it. Like it was awful. It was terrible. It was hot. It was the sun went directly in my windows at noon and it would be like a hundred degrees out and my room would be a hundred degrees inside. And I just got so depressed. I was like, I'm living in North Carolina. My 17 year old self will be dreaming of this shit. Why am I so depressed? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like trying to learn how to freelance, trying to like pay my bills, trying to get over post-trail depression, just broken up with my trail boyfriend, like going insane and no trees. And I'm just so depressed. And then as soon as I moved out of there and got some place in the backyard, I was like instantly happy again. It was, I mean, it's not magic, obviously. I, I was still a little bit depressed, like still going through stuff, but it helped so much to have a place where you can just sit outside and have trees <laughs> like that's it yeah. like I can still hear the highway I'm a mile from the highway I can hear it pretty loud but I will take that if I can have a backyard you know agreed that's so it's so interesting like getting to the other side of accomplishing such a big goal and then being like so now I can just like live my life but I don't know what that means mm-hmm. um that's kind of how I felt after my first through hike and obviously I want to through hike again, but not immediately. And that's really the biggest reason I wanted to do van life was because I figured I can travel the country and figure out where I'm meant to live or like where I might like to live. Um, and I'm not sure I'll ever be satisfied because I'm always wanting to move. Like everything fits in my Prius right now. I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to move any day no matter what like that's just how I live and I would love to move again <laughs> it's funny you mention that because that is us we share a Prius yeah and fit our entire life into it to drive it back from Texas literally a week ago <laughs> yeah and it's just like it is a lifestyle uh but I figured you know if I get the van and I travel around I can find a place to live I can go to Austin and see if I do like how it feels and not have to be like worried about leaving at a certain time or like having to get a hotel or um, having to pay for a plane ticket or whatever. It's like you just get there when you get there and you hang out as long as you like it and when you get sick of it, you can go somewhere else. Yep, and don't have to worry about breaking a lease or, you know, signing a year-long lease or finding subletters or... Oh my God, yeah. The amount of sublets I've done. Also, like, my credit score is pretty shitty, not gonna lie. And that makes it really hard to get apartments, literally anywhere, even sublets. So, um... Yeah, I'm excited about I mean, I definitely have to save up more money before I can go on a big trip, but, like, I am so ready to discover yeah. some stuff. <laughs> and it's awesome that you're you're taken to, like, freelance writing and stuff, so you can be completely mobile and self-sustaining in that respect. Yeah, that's the goal. It's kind of, it's a weird journey. I mean, I'm pretty young, so it's fine. I haven't had a real career yet, but it's a weird thing to start 
as an adult mm -hmm. who hasn't been in school in a long time to be like, I'm just going to learn how to do this thing that I've never done before and somehow figure it out without paying for any of the things that I need to learn. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> I need, uh, I've taken classes now and I, like I had to, but um, yeah. also like you get into it and you realize it's so much more complicated. Like I was just like, yeah, I'll just be a freelance writer. No big deal. Like you just get clients and you do the work. And then I got into it and I was like, there's copywriting, there's content writing, there's editorial writing, there's magazine writing, there's newspaper writing, there's this writing and that writing. And then you're just like, ah, what do I do? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to pigeonhole yeah. myself either. What do I do? Like, I stand corrected. There is way more to <laughs> Yeah. I guess I'll just go back to bed now. Uh, can I hike please? Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like navigating those waters with no knowledge and like, I mean, thank God for Google. I do not know how my parents changed careers so many times throughout my childhood without Google. What were they doing? How did they do that? <laughs> like, my parents went from being, like, landscapers to, like, painters to, like, they own a car dealership now. My dad was a machinist for a while, and he didn't. He was a quality control inspector at, at a machine shop. Didn't know anything about it. And somehow he got that job because of a friend. And, like, figured it out as he went. I was like, what the fuck? How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess that's the pressure you get when you have kids early. But, damn. Yeah. It's been an interesting ride, for sure. I highly recommend trying it out. But uh, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. It's, it's like a mental game. Most of it is a mental game, just like through hiking. It's all mental. Van lifing or career switching? Career switching, but also okay. van lifing. Every time I think about van life, I'm like, well, I'm about to embark on another through hike, you know? Yep. Probably not going to shower every day. Got to do resupplies. Got to be in a different place every night, you know? Camping and whatnot. Pooping outside. Yeah, it's like another through yeah. hike, right? <laughs> <laughs> But glamping. It is glamping for <laughs> sure, dude. Oh, it rains. <laughs> it's fine. Just put the pop down. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's kind of cool because a lot of the stuff that I already have is like perfect. Like my sleeping bag. I'm going to use it in the van. I already nice. know how to eat junk food and live. So now i can eat less junk that. food and still live <laughs> yeah master <laughs> for sure what are your i mean you're not you're not doing another through hike anytime soon what are your ideas about your future have you thought about it a lot that's a loaded question i'm sorry to put you on the spot <laughs> uh we've talked about it um you know i, I definitely want to try to find a remote job mm. um Unfortunately, my specific discipline of engineering, the mechanical side, is normally tied into manufacturing and machine shops. So you kind of have to be there at the place making the thing that you designed because you work with them a lot. Mm. Um, but we're hoping to you know, get some sort of remote job so we can continue our like city tour. You know, we checked out Vail, checked out Austin, kind of want to go somewhere in the Pacific Northwest because they have you know, endless amazing hikes and skiing and mountains. Uh, San Diego also on the list to be beach bums, kind of. But right. again, COVID hit, and now kind of every job is remote, so might have better luck with that. Or COVID hit, and maybe places just aren't hiring now. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so 
There's so much unknowns going on at the moment. Yeah, totally. I feel like we're all just swimming in a sea of unknown and virus. <laughs> yeah. And apparently racism, which is very much true. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully that's finally, finally going to you know, be talked about and have some actual real reform. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that they're defunding police departments. I really want to see what's going to happen after this because there's so many ways that that can go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy to think about. It's one of those things we've been so, uh, like, conditioned to think, you can't do that. You need cops. You, you have to have a well-funded yeah. police department. They're crime everywhere. But, you know, it's like, hey... You know, kind of the same with the, the country as a whole and our military budget, you know. Hey, if you divert some of these billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, yeah. and reinvest in people, there won't be as much crime. There won't be as much crumbling infrastructure. There won't be all these other issues yeah. that, you know, kind of re require the policing. Yeah. It's interesting because I went to um, Scandinavia when I was in college for a, like, study abroad sort of trip, and... Mm -hmm. I was studying comparative politics and economics and basically looking at like how small countries that have a low recidivism rate to prisons, which is like most of Scandinavia, how they allocate yeah. their money and why that is. And it, they just have the most robust rehabilitation programs I've ever seen. And their cops don't carry guns. Their guards in their prisons don't carry guns. And their police departments are tiny, and they look like, like a very small elementary school, almost every single one of them. <laughs> and they have, like, like, their rehabilitation halfway houses are just in normal family neighborhoods. It's not weird. Granted, there's a lot less racism there. I mean, there's a lot of racism there, but their population is a lot more homogenous, so you don't... It's not applied as much, especially in prison. Like, it, there's just not enough of a population not to be a problem. But... All of that, if you just took like a quarter of our defense budget and put it into rehabilitation, our prisons would be so different. But our prisons are for profit, and that's why they don't change anything. Yep. Yeah. That was. Um, man, I forget the quote. Some, I don't know if it was a president or some, you know, high-ranking cabinet officials, you know, saying, um, "You should never have it set up where, if by doing your job correctly." puts yourself out of said job yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> man i could talk about this forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well um are there any other stories you've been like itching to share about your through hikes or anything that you wanted to um, touch on i guess one fun one for the for the road for the road <laughs> yeah <laughs> let me get my travel cup uh, hang on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's uh, another one of the, the challenges. I believe it's somewhat relatively known on the, the AT, the four-state challenge. Yeah. And the way my timing was working out, I was going to be passing through that section on the summer solstice, which you may also know is commonly hike naked day. <laughs> so I started trying to talk it up in all the trail logs in the week or two leading up to it. And um, only had one friend decide to do this crazy-ass thing with me. And we uh, took a zero-day in Harper's Ferry to rest up and then went, you know, backtracked and camped at the West Virginia-Virginia border. 
got up, uh, I think at four, we hit the trail kind of right as you didn't necessarily need a headlamp and just blasted four states <laughs> in the buff. Um, during the more populated areas, like going through the town of Harpers Ferry, we would put our pants on and yeah. a lot of the other time kind of wear a rudimentary loincloth because it is right by DC and, you know, tons of day hikers out and this and that, but we were just hiking machines and we made it almost all by daylight. We got to high rock right as the sun was setting and being the summer solstice, you know, there is just dozens and dozens of people there. And we're like, Oh, that's cool. You all drove here. Yeah. We walked here from Virginia today in the past 16 hours. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Casual. Did you get a sunburn? Uh, not really, because, you know, so much of the AT is just in tree cover. Yeah, that's true. Nice. And then luckily my uh, vac- trail vacation back to Maryland happened the next day because I could barely walk. I had shin splints. My backpack just rubbed my hips raw from being uh... you know, directly on my skin. And I was, my body was just done. So that those were a much needed five zero days in a row. <laughs> Did you feel like super accomplished? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, really proud of it. That's a, you know, it was a big mile day, and you know, just that it lined up, and we, for the most part, did the whole thing naked. And I always get a laugh in Maryland when you head down I-70, uh, you cross under the bridge that is the little footbridge, the Appalachian Trail, and I'm just like, <laughs> I walked across that naked, and I at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I love those footbridges, man. Every time I go on a road trip, because, you know, we live on the East Coast, I drive under at least one, and I'm always, like, flooded with good memories, you know? Like, I was I've driving. <laughs> what? I've been there. Yeah. I walked across that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I I think it's so interesting, because I was dreaming of van life when I was hiking the AT, and I remember being in Massachusetts, like, right near Lee, walking over a footbridge and thinking, maybe someday I'll drive my van down this highway. It's, like, right on the way home. And on my way down here with my van, I just picked it up last week, I drove under that footbridge. And it's so nice. crazy. It's like <laughs> unreal. It's unreal. Because your former self could not have known that that would happen. Like, it, there's no way to know for sure that that was going to happen. But it happened. <laughs> awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like you subconsciously willed it to be (laughs) yeah yeah like I might believe in self-actualization now that that's happened (laughs) like only a little though that's a that's that's super super duper privileged place to to stand (laughs) true I self-actualized that well you know actually it took a village and my family totally helped me fix up that van mostly 100% so (laughs) but oh man wow well, it was so cool to talk to you, Space Jam. I'm so glad we got to connect, and I've seen you on Hiker Chat. I'll be on Hiker Chat finally. I think it's Wednesday. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna see you minutes. in like 20 minutes. I'm yeah. gonna make dinner <laughs> first, but um, yeah, I've been like out of cell service, so I haven't really gotten to be on Hiker Chat. But that's so funny. I'm so that's glad it. everything because I just interviewed Pickle a couple couple weeks ago too. So. Oh nice. <laughs> yeah, got all my hiker. Oh man, it's another. Quick, quick story about Pickle. Yes, I would love um, to hear a story about Pickle. I don't know why I didn't ask you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just left a shelter um, just south of Duncannon somewhere. And the next shelter is five miles. And I was like, I can make it before the rain hits. And of course, after about a mile, just torrential downpour. 
and I hate backtracking for anything. So I thought, I don't care. I'm just going to keep going. And I'm crossing this road, and Pickle and his crew is there uh, setting up for a three- or four-day-long trail magic. And they pretty much just parked and had pop-up tents. So like, hey, hiker, step out of the rain and have a beer. <laughs> okay. So I start hanging out with them, and they're all just a great group of guys, you know, shooting the shit, sharing stories, having beers. And I'm like, all right, the rain stopped. I think I'm going to hit the trail, try to make it at shelter. And they're like, or you could stay here. Because for breakfast, we're making sausages, pancakes, and white Russians. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm staying here. So you know, we hang out for the night. Next morning, sure enough, absolutely great breakfast. I decide, all right, I think I'm going to hit the trail. Then one of my good trail buddies caught up. So I was like, all right, well, I'll stay and have a beer with you. And then you know, another hour goes by. All right, I think I'm going to head out now, guys. And they're like, oh, no, no, dude, we're about to fire up the grill and start making handmade burgers. <sighs> okay, I guess I'll stay. So I sit back down, like, have another beer, eat the burgers. Hour goes by. And then I'm like, all right, for real this time, I got to start hitting the trail, get some miles. Dude, our friend randomly just said he's about to show up with a deep fryer and make hand-cut French fries. You got to stay. <laughs> And at that point, it just became a game to them to see how long they could keep me trapped at this trail magic. <laughs> That's so anytime I would get up, oh, Space Jam, where are you going? Here, take my reclining lawn chair and I'll grab you a beard. I want you to you sit down and relax, man. You earned it. <laughs> so I think I, it was 18 hours before I, I managed to finally sneak away <laughs> and get back to hiking. That is so funny. Wow. That I yeah. that doesn't surprise me at all. That whole story makes so, so much sense. <laughs> that's, that's how I met Pickle, and then you know we later realized, oh, we all live in Baltimore. So Sea uh, Line and I were on his podcast about a year ago, and um, yeah, it was great for him to start this hiker chat during quarantine. I guess yeah. for any listeners that don't know, uh, our friend Pickle just started a Zoom group chat meeting and finds random hikers, and sometimes they have special guests, and sometimes it's like twenty people. <laughs> You know, just to be among your, your fellow through hikers is definitely great when you're kind of stuck at home and yeah. missing the outdoors. Yeah, I'll link it in the description for y'all. It's, uh, I don't know, we only we don't have that many listeners. There's no way we're going to flood this group chat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll link it for you guys. It'll be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm so thankful for the hiker chat because I remember I had just gotten laid off from my barista job. Then he invited me to his hiker chat. He was like, this is the day before our interview, so you should come and like we can get to know each other better. And it was so nice to just be able to talk to all these people from my thru-hiking community. I feel like I haven't been that like delved into the community in so long because I haven't hiked in two years. So yeah, that was a really nice little blessing that happened. <laughs> yeah, oh show. Post show. Well, I'll see you soon, Space Jam. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show and all your stories. You're very welcome. Wow, wow, wow. That was a jam packed episode. <laughs> Every time Kevin and I went to wrap up, we'd get excited and find another story to tell. And it's amazing to find those people that you could just talk to forever, right? I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and all of our crazy little tangents. I miss our trail community in person so much right now. And getting to connect with hikers over Hiker Chat and through the podcast 
has really fostered this sense of of knowing that the trail community still exists and that I do still belong there, even though I haven't through hiked in a couple of years. And I'm wondering how many of you out there are also feeling like that. Like if you haven't hiked in a few years, through hiked in a couple of years, um, go over to my Instagram and leave me a comment. I would love to talk to you. I would love to hear your perspectives. It's been a really interesting place to go from taking form as a huge part of your identity, right? When you're developing as a 23-year-old and you have no idea what you're doing and you just go on this through hike, it was so much of my life. But now I'm starting to sort of reconcile that with who I want to be long-term and who I am now and am I going to through hike again and those sorts of things. So I would love to hear from you about that. And also, you're totally invited to Hiker Chat. Head to the description of this episode. You can hit up Dylan and he'll send you the link. Uh, It's at 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays every week. And we would love to see you there. It's so fun to get to talk to hikers. And we're all here for you. This community is pretty amazing. It has its downfalls like every community. But I'm really happy to be a part of it. And it's really helped keep me sane during this COVID lockdown. So thank you so much for being here listening. And thank you to our Patreons this week. Chelsea Hall, my bestest friend, (laughs) donated this week. And Monica donated this week as well. Monica Aguilar, she was also on the podcast. Her name is Moss on Trail. And you can go back and listen to her episode. It was earlier this season. Thank you so much. And huge shout out to my parents, Eric and Michelle. They always support the podcast and their business sponsors us, Bribery Motors. I love them so much. I love all of you for being here. You're amazing for listening. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week.